Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. For those that are new, I just briefly want to introduce you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There, there's a flip book that you can go through with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. It answers a lot of hard questions. You will discover there's a lot of print highlighted in red. Those are actually links to YouTube videos. They're very profound and amazing from many fields of science and archeology span that highly confirm the reality of what I am sharing here in this message. And what I am sharing about is the very reason for which all things exist and consist, the very source of creation, of reality. And the very source of reality is an ultimate perfection of love that is the very source of love. So I briefly want to just mention that this love is the highest form of love. It has great purity and integrity. It always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is so pure that it is the opposite of corruption. It is the very destroyer of corruption ensuring that there can be a destiny without corruption that goes on forever. In fact, the very fact that we are here in a highly organized, beautifully designed creation with intricacies within the human cell or cells that are far more complex than man can ever grasp. Why, even they've discovered that DNA can be put in one test tube and then another test tube next to that test tube it has no DNA, just water in both, except one has DNA. And the DNA communicates right through the tube and through the air into the other tube and creates DNA. And man can't even put together DNA. When they have DNA in the tube, they can't even assemble it. And if they do, it's probably a very poor job. So that totally blows the hole in the theory of evolution. So a highly designed universe and the second law of thermodynamics in science, which is observed in all things in this universe, says that everything left on its own will go in a direction of disorder to total chaos. And yet here we are. This should have happened in the infinite past. For, for, there, to be, for there cannot be a beginning. There always had to be some form of existence. So in this infinite past, this should have happened already, that everything should have been complete chaos. But here we are in a highly designed universe. And the source of that is this ultimate perfection of love that, as it were, is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. Of course, in the Greek, in the Bible, the other two types of love are philio, which is feeling love, and eros, which is sexual, which are, of course, nowhere near what this highest form of love known as agape in the Greek, agape love. And God is agape. He is this ultimate perfection of love. 
And that is the first aspect of this law. It is the only thing that could be the source of reality. It represents in mathematics and in nature the negative symbols. That represents an indestructible foundation. It represents cutting off all corruption. From that negative symbol is formed the positive symbol or the symbol of the cross. And yes, this love is so ultimate in its perfection that it was always a reality in the being of God, not just a capacity, but a reality in the being of God beyond time, in the infinite past, that he could become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for us, for our sins and rebellion against God. Yes, his love is so great that he humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature, on the cross. And I've written a book on the afterlife titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, which you can purchase on Amazon. 368 pages in a large paperback, six by nine, and you can get it on Kindle as well. In the future, I'll probably have it in audio as well, in the near future. And there are the people that stood before Jesus Christ, highly verified to have been dead by medical doctors and equipment, like Dean Braxton for almost two hours. They said that the love and the intensity of love that they experienced in this far superior dimension to the physical dimension was so great that there's no way it could be comprehended or described in words in this physical realm. And it was so great that they knew that God loved them so much, that Christ loved them so much as they were standing before Jesus Christ. Well, they were just on their face before his feet first. They knew that they were the apple of God's eye. It was like they were the most loved person in the whole universe, yet they knew that God loved others just as much as them. They knew that if God had only created them, he would have humbled himself more than them and suffered more than them on the cross as he did in Jesus Christ so that they could choose to repent and be reconciled to God. Yes, God created us with free will because therein is the capacity to love. That also means we're the source of our own action and self-responsible so that we can't blame God for our choices. We can't blame God for creating the devil. Yes, that is necessary for there to be the highest form and most fulfilling form of life, which is love, beings that have the capacity to love, that have souls. But when you have a being that has that ability to love, to make its own choices, there's the potential to make wrong choices and to therefore be in rebellion against God and also imbue onto themselves through their wrong choices a hell-contagious state of being a self-destructive, anti-life state of being that is worse than nothingness because it separates you from the source of love, which leaves you in everlasting torment that is worse than any physical torment you can experience in this physical dimension, according to many others that have died and experienced being in hell and experienced some of that torment. 
<clears throat> so I'm sharing all of this just for those that are new. Now, I want to mention for others that have come to receive Jesus Christ and to come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal, that I share these messages <clears throat> by seeking to do what the Word of God commands in 1 Peter 4.11. It says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek to allow God to speak through us, and that's what I will do in this message, which is why there's hardly any preparation. What I do to facilitate speaking prophetically as the oracles of God is to cast lots using two random applications on the internet that can choose the possibility of any chapter. I do this with great prayer and reverence. If you do this in a light way yourself, or you're not right with God, that would be divination, which is an abomination before God. But I do this with great reverence, and God has led me to do it. And so I cast lots, as I did today, and I received two chapters that those two chapters might bear witness with each other as to what God is saying to the churches at this particular time, especially the churches throughout United States and Canada where I am, and certainly around the world, for this particular hour and time. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Doing what? Giving the sheep their meat in due season. And so that is what I am seeking to do says in the word of God, in Revelations 19.10, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is out of worshiping God in spirit and in truth that we are filled with the spirit and the overflow beyond ourselves, the results and utterances that are created. The results in prophetic utterances that testify to the reality of God. Yes, that he's even so great that he can come down to this little speck of a planet in the midst of the vast universe that he has created and communicate with us human beings, even to the point of living his life out here in Jesus Christ, being tempted as we are and yet without sin to the very death of the cross. And so I want to share with you today what I received. But before I do, I also cast lots to get a worship song. Right now it's from my playlist, which you can see on both ultimatemeaning.com, where there's some worship songs there, 144 of them. Also, it's on my website at loverealize.com, where I have all of these messages on video. So I want to share with you now the song I received by the casting of Lot. And I am very particular, so these are all high-quality songs. Because I don't go for a lot of this music nowadays that has such little meaning in the words. Yes, there's some modern songs that are really good and have meaning, but much of it doesn't. And much of it doesn't even have nice, creative tunes with it either. So here we go with a song which we will play now. My name is sweet as ointment far and far. Better thy love than what I'll draw thou me. Give me the footsteps far. 
expressing a love relationship with the bridegroom. And that is what God is wanting to bring you as an individual into and the body of Christ, your local assembly, into in these last days. God is calling for a mighty awakening. People talk about revival. I'm sorry, that is just, I've heard so many people 
talk about revival and claim they have revival. And yet when I observe what is happening, it is far from revival. And really what God wants to do in these last days is far greater than what he's ever done, even in the book of Acts. And it's going to be far greater than revival. It says in the word of God concerning Jesus Christ in the book of Acts, whom the heavens must receive until the restitution of all things. And this is the time for God to awaken his people into that place where all things are brought forth to fulfill the purpose that is described in Revelations 10, where the angel stands on the sea and the earth and cries with a loud voice and swears by him that lives forever and ever that there shall be time no more and seven thunders utter their voice. And he was about to write, and God would not reveal what those seven thunders are, and who knows when God in this last hour will by his spirit reveal this mystery in preparation for the soon return of Jesus Christ. And so I want to share with you today what I received by the casting of Lot before God. And I want to emphasize that there has been a very strong message coming forth with a very consistent theme for the last, I would say, about two weeks. And it's all on the soon return of Jesus Christ. I am getting this over and over this week. I was getting it over and over last week. And so I want to share with you that today I received Mark 13, which is a description of of the return of Jesus Christ in detail and the sequence of those events. And Zechariah chapter 2 is also about the last days and about the Lord returning to Jerusalem. And it's very interesting that just two days ago, I received also scriptures that were on Jerusalem from Psalms 137. There is a strong emphasis on Jerusalem, if I forget Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning, and so on. And in Zechariah 13, again, a strong emphasis on Jerusalem, and this is particularly in relation to the last days. So what is God saying by his spirit to the churches in this hour? Well, this is what will be revealed in the message that I am sharing today. Now, first of all, in Mark 13, 24 to 27, we have the sequence of events just before the return of Jesus Christ. So I want to emphasize that just before verse 24 in these verses, and I can bring it up and hopefully it's already at Mark 13, it is. So I can just go there and point out some of the verses before verse 24 to emphasize what the events are just before the return of Jesus Christ. First of all, it says that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, Wycliffe Bible translators are expecting sometime, I believe, just before 1930, pardon me, 
2030 or just thereafter for the Bible to be translated and be completed in every single tribe and tongue and nation in the world. And so that is significant in relation to this scripture that is emphasizing this. Now, I don't have in front of me that particular verse, but it is here in this chapter. What I want to emphasize is verse 14. And when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. It emphasizes basically when the Jewish temple is built and the Antichrist comes in and sets himself up as God and puts an abomination in that temple, which also happened, of course, in history in the past, as was prophesied in Daniel chapter 11, with a king by the name, a Greek king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, which means manifestation of God. And he, it says here, and in other scriptures, will set himself up and say to the world, I am God. I am God. Worship me. That is the Antichrist, of course. And so here we see this happening. Do you know that right now the Jewish people in Israel have got the Levitical priesthood ready to go? They have the red heifers ready to go, and I think they may, they're already beginning to do any time now the animal sacrifices. I would think it would be on the news if they already started them. They're going to be doing them in Shiloh, where King David had the tabernacle before it went to Jerusalem. This is a sign also that will indicate that soon the temple will be rebuilt. And once that temple is rebuilt, there is going to be soon this time when great tribulation will take place on the earth, which is at the point where the abomination is set up in the temple by the Antichrist. And so then it mentions for people to flee immediately, to not even take their goods because of the terrible things that are going to begin to happen during the last three and a half years of the reign of the Antichrist, which is probably when, probably in the middle is when this abomination of desolation will be set up because it describes in Daniel very clearly that there will be so many days, which is something like three and a half years, and then there's another 45 days. God's shortening the persecution of the Antichrist by 45 days. So it says, after those 45 days, when the tribulation stops, blessed is he that endures those 45 days and comes through, because they will come through to the very time of the return of Jesus Christ to the translation of the saints. And so I want to point out here what it brings out in the Word of God. It says, and except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And this is probably also referring to Daniel chapter 12, where it mentions that there is this season after, and I don't have the exact number of days in front of me to give you the exact timing on that, but I know it's three and a half years, maybe 
it's 45 days short of the three and a half years that it stops, I forget, or plus the three and a half, but you can check it out yourself. And then if any man shall say to you, lo, here is Christ, believe it not. So there's going to be great deception at this time because there's going to be the false prophet and the antichrist, and there will be many false Christs as well besides the one false prophet and the antichrist. And the deception will be extremely great. And it says, but in those days after that tribulation, so after the terrible, terrible, worst tribulation in the world, and it describes in here that it will be so bad that from the beginning of creation until that point in time, and even after, there will be no tribulation as bad as this time upon the earth or in the universe for all I know, from what it implies. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And this, no doubt, is because of the next verse, which says, and the stars of heaven shall fall. That word stars in the Greek is asteroids. The asteroids in the heaven will start hitting the earth. No doubt this is what will cause the sun to be darkened and the moon to not give her light. And the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. So now there's the shaking of the cosmos. And here's what's interesting. The whole world begins to see in the heavens Christ returning, kind of like at a great distance, maybe starting off with a strange, mysterious object way out there in the universe, and then it's getting larger and larger. And then they're beginning to realize this is Christ returning with the saints as it becomes evident. And how much time is involved in the whole world seeing that? One does not know. It describes the whole world seeing the return of Christ in Revelations chapter 1, I believe it is, where it says that they will see him and will call for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them, saying, Hide us from the wrath of the, of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? And it also says in the word of God that when this powerful emanation from Christ and the multitudes of the saints in the heavens and this superior dimension begins to come upon the earth and merge with it, that even the slain will be disclosed and will not be able to die. And so it talks about men seeking to die in the book of Revelation, and they cannot die because there is a merging of this superior fifth dimension in some measure merging with the physical dimension. And of course, the, the glory of heaven beginning to come up, to penetrate in some measure before he's actually there on the earth. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And then shall he send his angels. Notice it uses the word and then after they're already seeing him coming. This is after the sun and the moon are darkened, after the great tribulation has subsided. The heavens 
are blackened in some measure, but they're seeing the return of Jesus Christ. And then it says he sends his angel and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. This is the translation of the saints. And we could go on, and I could go on and talk a long time and on this, all these various verses here. But for time, I will be skipping certain things here. It's talking about the fact that when you see these things, it's like a fig tree sprouting. You know that when her branch is yet tender and put it for leaves, that summer is near. So you're going to understand when you see these things that the Lord is about to come back and rule upon the earth. That's the generation that will not pass to all these things are done. The ones that see the budding of the fig tree. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. And let me point this out. For those that are new particularly. That for God to be almighty God, he must be in three personages. To rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation in all dimensions of existence, and time and space, and omnipresence in the Holy Spirit. And so the Father and the Son is in omnipresence in the Holy Spirit, and in the Son is the Father and the Holy Spirit, and in the Father is the Son and the Holy Spirit. But for God to be all, you can't rule in creation if you're not in conscious intelligence in and over it. Nor can you be beyond creation, beyond time and space, if you're not in conscious intelligence beyond that. And so for God to be almighty, he must be in three personages. And the Son limits himself even in knowing when certain events are because he is limiting himself in the creation. This is God, Yahweh, in the Son, limiting himself to experience the creation realm and to um, communicate on a creature level because the total glory of God would be so great the creature could not handle that. The power would be too great. The glory would be too great. And so in the Son, there's that. And so the Son limits himself to these things, but also can be in the Father and being in many other dimensions of existence and planes of time, he can also know these things, which I won't go into trying to explain here. A bit of that understanding is in my book on the afterlife. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh. And we go on. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And this is what God is wanting to emphasize to the body of Christ today. Is he going to find you spiritually asleep at his coming? And he emphasizes, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Watch. 
want to point some things out with this scripture soon. And so I will go to a particular passage right now to emphasize this about spiritual sleep. We have in Revelation 16, 12 to 16, the description of the body of Christ during the very last part of the reign of the Antichrist. This is when the sixth angel pours out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water dries up and the way of the kings of the east is prepared. The three unclean spirits like frauds come out of the dragon and out of the beast and the false prophet. That unclean spirit we talked about that was over the nation of Israel in our last message, which is described also in Zechariah chapter 13. It says that he will remove the unclean spirit, that unclean demon that is over the nation of Israel, causing uncleanness in one day from the land. And this is just before he sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives, that there is the removal of these things. And so these unclean spirits are causing miracles that are deceptive demonic miracles to take place through false prophets, through false messiahs, and through the ultimate false prophet and messiah under the Antichrist. And we read this in the midst of this great deception. It says that these unclean spirits that work miracles are going forth to the rulers of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And then it says this. This is addressing the church in the, at this very time as they're gathering together to come against Jesus Christ. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Spiritual sleep is because of loving the things of the world. And loving the things of the world causes our garments to be stained with the filth of the world, the things that have death in them, instead of the overflowing resurrection life of Jesus Christ. The Word of God says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when there's teaching around that you don't have to confess your sins, no, you have to be specific before God each day and search your heart. And if God reveals as you search your heart and you examine yourself that there are certain sins you've committed, of pride or whatever it is, you come in humility before God and cry out for mercy and forgiveness and he will cleanse you. You keep your garments spotless. Now I want to go on and emphasize this other chapter that I received today and what God is saying. In Zechariah 2, 5 to 8, we begin there. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire. This is speaking of Jerusalem. Remember, when I cast lots this week, I got verses on Jerusalem. And so I want to emphasize 
what God is saying. And Jerusalem is not just Jerusalem and Israel. It is the body of Christ in your town and in your city that should be a city set upon a hill that cannot be hid, that shines as a bright light in the midst of the darkness of your town, of your community. And there should be churches in every town and community across the United States and across Canada and each nation of the world that are coming in to this that is far greater than revival. It is a new order under the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting the local assembly in these last days. And so what do we read? For I saith Yahweh will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. Now this is the scattering of Israel. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. Again, we know what Babylon is. Babylon is the world system that has become corrupt. There was once in the United States a democracy that was pure that believed in liberty and freedom. But now we see a system that blasphemes God, that promotes perversion to destroy the family. We've seen that it is absolute insanity, is totally irrational and is obviously demonic in its source to be so evil. And insane, and I need not because I'm on YouTube to speak the specifics of this. You know about it. If you don't know about it, you're really asleep. Or you're watching news media that's totally put a veil over your eyes. So what we read here is that we are to deliver ourselves from the world system. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith Yahweh of hosts, after the glory he hath sent me. After the glory he has sent me. God is jealous for his glory to dwell in the midst of his people unto the nations which spoiled you for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye in other words if these people touch this body of believers that's come into purity and has become the pure bride of Christ in local assemblies around the world and also in Israel there will be the remnant it would be like them gouging their own eye out. They would destroy themselves in their attempt to bring such destruction upon the people of God. And it says here, after the glory he has sent me. And this is referring, what is the sent me? Who is this me? The context is very clear. It is Yahweh. Yahweh is saying, after the glory I have been sent unto the nations. And it's repeated here in this 
passages you will begin to see. For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants. And ye shall know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me. That is referring to, for behold, I. And the I is Yahweh as much as the word Lord of hosts, the word Lord is Yahweh in the Hebrew here. The I is referring to Yahweh. It is referring to Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah. After the glory, he hath sent me. That is why there is a differentiation between Yahweh in capital L-O-R-D there and sent me. The me is referring to God the Son who is Yahweh. And the other one is referenced more towards God the Father. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith Yahweh. God is jealous for his bride in these last days. He wants to find his resting place. King David said he would give no rest to his eyes until he found a resting place for God, a place where his glory could dwell in tabernacle among his people at that time. And at first, the tent was shut up in Shiloh. This is about to happen. They're in the process, probably in this month, possibly, of beginning to do animal sacrifices. I remember seeing that they were going to do it since they have the red heifers in April or something. Well, it's past April, so I'll have to find out if that actually has already happened. If it hasn't, it's going to be next April. This is a sign of what God is wanting in local assemblies in these last days. God is jealous to be in your local assembly. And what does that mean? That means you are never going to be in assembly, the church, the way you used to be. Just comfortable doing the same format all the time. You start off with singing. You have a few people that might share a word and then you have a sermon. No. Oh, you have your pre-service prayer meeting. No. This is not the new order. This is being asleep. This is limiting God in your assembly. What God is calling for in these last days is that his house becomes a house of prayer. You should be starting your church as a prayer meeting. Your main church service should be on your face before God, becoming more conscious of him in your midst than any program that you're about to begin at the front or any songs you're about to sing. It is more important that we are still and in awe of whose presence we're in at first. And then that there's people praying out as we're quietly also praying and searching our hearts. And yes, then, worship begins. Maybe there's singing, and out of the singing, there should always be the liberty for people to move in the gifts of the Spirit, whether it's a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge, a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement, a testimony, or a spontaneous song where you don't even know what you're going to sing out, but you just know the Spirit's rising in you and you're supposed to sing it out. A love song unto God. Let Him bring forth the creativity in the body of Christ. There's a great lack of creativity in songs. There's a great lack of creativity when the gifts of the Spirit are not functioning, where each member in the body is not functioning. 
And that is part of what God is wanting in the body of Christ. Of course, he's calling his people to repent of loving the world, to come out of all the uncleanness, to come into a pure love relationship with God. It says here, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come. And I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. We had a beautiful song that we sung in this message, which was a love song relationship with God. And that is what he's wanting, is this dwelling of his glory in our midst. Not hyping it up, not working it up. We need to return to the genuine fear of God and know the awe of God in our midst. And you'll see how this is described in the next short while. It says, And many nations shall be joined to Yahweh in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, that's in Jerusalem, but also happening in congregations around the world that have become a blazing light of the glory of God, that have become a Jerusalem in their town. And thou shalt know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me unto thee, and the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. You see, he's returning for his bride. He's returning also to Jerusalem and Israel to set his throne of glory up there, and there will be the remnant of his people. And his throne will be Jerusalem, not the Holy of Holies that was in the tabernacle. Says this amazing verse at the end, Be silent, O all flesh, before Yahweh, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. Do we know what it is to be in such an awe of God that we're silent and just soaking in who he is on our faces before him? until we know a tenderness and a softness in our heart that allows his presence to distill as the dew, which is filled with the light of God as revelation, revealing his glory. And yes, then we see such beauty that we cannot help but sing out a love song to our lover, the bridegroom. That can only happen as we know the wholeness of holiness. The things that we are holding on to in the church are the gods of amusement. Watching sports, spending hours watching sports. Pastors getting up and talking about the baseball game in the meeting. You want to do that? I would say you're treading on dangerous ground. Because you're going to stumble people to encourage them to do those things. I'm not saying those things are wrong in themselves and there isn't a place to relax. It's not my weakness, so it's easy for me to judge that. I find those things boring and shallow, but maybe that's because I was made different. Maybe it's just natural. But I want to say this, that it is something that hooks many people into spending hours with their emotions on things that are the pride of life, the word of God says that the things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God. And the church in North America, the church in the United States needs to repent of these things. 
that they think are acceptable, they're not acceptable in the sight of God. Not in a congregation. Not when you condone them and spend hours on these things and you do not spend hours seeking God in prayer. He is calling his people to holiness and to redeem the time because the days are evil. And he wants us to know what it is to be silent before him because he is rising up out of his holy habitation to come and visit you in the midst of your congregation. And if you seek God in your personal prayer life, there is going to come a time as you persevere. Sometimes it can be difficult in prayer. As you persevere, he will visit you, even as he visited Abraham, even as he visited Jacob and the patriarchs, he will visit those that seek his face. I can go on, and there's other scriptures I have here. Of course, in Zechariah chapter 2, at the beginning of this chapter, it brings out the measuring of Jerusalem. And I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. That's verse 1. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, for the multitude of men and cattle therein. Well, this is already true. If you go to Jerusalem, the old city is within the walls. But right outside the walls, you've got all kinds of the same city, just fully inhabited with buildings and all kinds of stuff, right? For I say that the Lord will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. Ho, ho. And then I read that verse about them being scattered and then being brought back in the last days. And this is the message that God is calling his people to. Now, I have written a book, which you can get on Amazon, titled God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which is well over 250 pages, large paperback, six by nine, on everything you can do in your local assembly so that you do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. It is time for the church to wake up. And really, whether this is done all at the same time across a nation or at other times, the churches in your city and town should get together on a long weekend or something and organize to come together for three days of fasting and prayer, to turn to God and repent as never before and never go back to being the church the way you were. Bring a new order into that church that does not limit the fullness of Christ from functioning through each member of the body, from being the center of focus in your meetings. That is what God is wanting. This will break the darkness over your community and your city and town, even as it did in the Welsh revival. And there are many examples on my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There's some examples there you'll see in a slider on video of powerful workings of God's Spirit. Where whole towns were 
totally turned to Christ. They were once filled with drunkenness in many jails, and now there's no jails. And even the crops are way bigger than normal, so that the governments from around the world are wanting to know why all the vegetables are growing so large. It's because God's blessing has come over that city that turned to God that was once wicked. You can watch that at ultimatemeaning.com. But this is what God is wanting to do now. And it is this is more important to deliver your nation from the oppressive tyranny that is now seen around the world, which has its epicenter in the United States especially. When we turn to God like this in all the major towns and cities across the nation, when we give it all we've got, and it's certainly worth it all, he will deliver us from this terrible corruption that is obviously a terrible evil that is seeking to take over the whole world. And he will allow a season for the great gathering of the harvest. In fact, the exposure of all this corruption is making the harvest very ripe and fulfilling what is prophesied in Joel. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. We need to be those that are prepared to gather in the harvest. That is described in Revelations 14 before the harvest of judgment comes and the Antichrist armies are destroyed and Christ sets up his kingdom upon the earth. I've described it in previous messages. I don't want to go into the details of it, describing it in this message. It's very dramatic. When the Mount of Olives splits in half and the Messiah is standing there between that split, he spreads forth his hands and this mighty earthquake happens around the world. The towers, every skyscraper around the world collapses. But wherever God's people are in Christian assembly and community at that time are spared from the buildings falling around them. They are also spared because the air will fill with the glory of God's presence and when the wicked breathe it in, they will turn to ashes. But the righteous will be filled with the presence of the glory of God. This will actually happen. It's prophesied in Isaiah 33. Look it up for yourself and in many other scriptures in Isaiah and in Revelation and other books of the Bible. Thank you for listening to this message. And I will say that God is bringing some real breakthroughs in my own life, which I am thankful for. I was plagued with an individual that had some real serious mental problems, and I love this person very much still, but they were really causing a lot of problems in my life for the last 10 years. They found some other person because they really were in love with me and I wasn't in love with them. They finally found someone and they're not calling me anymore. They used to call me literally 10 or more times a day. And there's all kinds of problems that went on every, almost every day. I'm free of that. And I'm praying that God would bring, hopefully, a godly wife for me to co-labor with and see this vision take place and I want to be aligned with others that have this same vision. If God wills, that will happen, whatever his will is. Thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all.